what adaptability does is to recognize that resilience is one subdimension of your ability to adapt. But actually, there's a whole set of things that come together and influence the capacity of an individual, an organization, and a team to be adaptable. Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organizations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions, and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts, and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of Charles McLaughlin on the show. Welcome, Charles. Thank you. It's good to be with you. It's good to have you on. So you're the the founder of three companies, uh, Portfolio Executive Growth Academy, uh, Inspired CEOs, and the CEO Growth Academy. And and at the heart of all this is is your passion for growing people and growing businesses. And you work with leaders to transform their organizations and break through their personal barriers to success, which is brilliant. And so today we'll be be exploring the uh, adaptability quotient. Uh, and looking in, into that, what it means, how can we measure adaptability uh, and what it means for a leader uh, in this context right now. But before we go there, I'd like to ask you, what do you love about what you do, Charles? I think the thing I love most is meeting interesting people, doing interesting things and helping them to get where they want to go faster. Um, I have a huge amount of freedom to do what I like when I like with whom I like. And uh, that's a fantastic privilege. Excellent. When did you realize you loved inspiring people and helping people to grow and to really excel in in their sort of careers? Um, It took a while to emerge. I think the uh, I'd always been interested in business and how things multiply and um, how you can scale things. And um, so I I did a computer science degree, uh, one of the first computer science degrees in the UK. Really enjoyed that but really as a sort of gateway into business, as a professional skill I could parlay in the business world. Mm. But as I got older and I started to look at what I'd been doing, this light came on and I realised that all of my working life, in fact, going right back to very, very early age, I've been involved in teaching people stuff. There's something about me that just wants to tell people how to do things. Mm. Um, And so to be able to combine working with business leaders, helping them to tell them how to do things, mm. and often business leaders involved with technology. So it brought us all together, really. Well, and so let's, we'll see today you're going to, perhaps not teach us in the sense of teaching us, you're going to educate us today and inspire us and <clears throat> provide opportunities for, to, to learn more about things. And I hope our listeners are, are in that sort of frame of mind. Um, we know the last couple of years there's been a lot of talk of resilience. I know myself, I've done loads of resilience type of um, seminars, webinars, and, and talk about helping organizations become more resilient. And I've sort of shifted a little bit towards making people more agile as well, but agility. Um, now, today we are talking about adaptability. And I just want to get your, your thoughts and views on, you know, on the difference and is there a difference between resilience and adaptability? Yeah. I've become a little bit jaded about the whole resilience industry because I think too often it becomes a way of 
business leaders just expecting people to do more with less and to roll with the punches. Um, and maybe that's a bit cynical. But for me, what adaptability does is to recognize that resilience is one sub-dimension of your ability to adapt. But actually, there's a whole set of things that come together and influence the capacity of an individual, an organization, and a team to be adaptable. And when you take that broader, holistic view of things, you start to realize that adaptability is not just about bounce-back ability, you know, surviving more punches, which I suppose is my definition of resilience. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a, a, a. Is that a healthy definition or a very real de- definition? Possibly. As um, with resilience, for me, is that is that there is the, the the grit bit, which is sort of aspect of it, but it's that ability to learn when you get back up, and so you can. Well, dodge it's interesting punches. you should say that. You know, um, when we look at the dimensions of a bit of adaptability, we distinguish between grit and resilience and we talk not about your ability to learn but your ability to unlearn to let Mm. go of the things that you thought were true that were working with for you before um and to replace them with new things that now are fit for purpose in the changing world that we face so yeah you've picked up on three of the sub dimensions of uh adaptability already (laughs) you think i've done some research wouldn't you Uh, but no no i i don't it was not intended in that sense so just exploring that unlearning aspect um which is an unusual phrase isn't it because often we talk about learning you know the learning loop when we do things if you do something don't see it as failure see it as feedback to learn and etc etc but unlearning is a slightly different perspective here and i'd like to few ticks help us explore more a bit more about what that might be and how as leaders do we engage ourselves in an unlearning mindset is it a mindset yeah well we're in a world i suppose where as we get older and you know i'm now over 60 over those years i've learned a lot of stuff Mm. i'm now parlaying you know my life experience my skills my knowledge but what the adaptability quotient suggests is it's all very well that you know lots of stuff, but too often there are things that we've ingrained as assumptions of ways of doing things, and they become our default approach to things or our mm. go-to tool or technique. Mm. And then in the changing world, we don't have the unlearning competence, which means we can let some of those things go and step into a new world. Mm. So just to give you a very simple example, When everybody had to move online with things like Zoom, they thought that you could run exactly the same kind of learning experience in exactly the same kind of way on a Zoom platform. And they thought all the things they knew about in-person learning could be reapplied into online learning. Hmm. They had to unlearn certain things. They had to do things differently. They had to recognize that the old rules no longer apply. And that's what unlearning gives you. And how do we ensure that when we we don't get caught up in, I'm just learning a new way to do it on Zoom, for example, as opposed to I need to unlearn some ways I did it in person, now I'm doing it online. Almost like the chicken egg on that. How how does that sort of work in our mindset and our approach? Well, I think the mindset that we often have is 
<clears throat> I can take what I was doing before and incrementally improve it or refine it. All the basic assumptions and knowledge and experience I've got, I can apply, but just finesse it a little bit. But the unlearn ability is an ability to, if you like, delete stuff off your hard drive as well as put new stuff on it. And I think that is the challenge. And in some ways, we sort of know this because we talk about the different mindsets of different generations. And if I'm engaging with a millennial, I have to unlearn the way I might have engaged with a baby boomer because they see the world differently. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of religions you know, have this view that the way that you saw the world, you need to have a radically different way of seeing the world. And so you need to renew your mind. You need to have a different mindset. Mm. Um, in science, we talk about paradigms. The big assumptions of Newtonian mechanics no longer apply in a relative, relativistic world. So we see this as things that have happened at particular junctures in our lives or particular junctions in history. Mm. But now we need to build it as a core competence that is available to us day in, day out. Yeah, and, and and taking that, you know, that whole adaption we did two years ago with Zoom, and we know it's still there, this sort of hybrid remote working, however, how does that operate in the context of how do, how do we, should we look at the whole world of work? You know, people going back to the office, not going back to the office. If you're a leader in an organization, how how can they use that unlearning competence, you call it competence, uh, as a way of navigating some of these next changes, I guess. Well, I think it's quite interesting because a key part of the adaptability quotient framework is a whole set of thinking about how you measure and manage environment. And so if you're thinking about engaging with your people, then if you can measure the environment, both internal, you know, their own emotional health, um, the team environment, how they feel supported, what levels of psychological safety they might be experiencing in a team, their internal environment around work stress, how overwhelmed do they feel, and then some things around the company environment. Does the company really support their own personal goals? Do they feel aligned to it? Then that is giving you big, big clues about what's working and not what's not working for the people because of the environment they are experiencing and the environment that you can, as a leader, manage, renegotiate on their behalf. So I'm meeting lots and lots of people who they got through COVID. Now they're in a place either of recovery or they just want a bit of a break. Mm. And yet as leaders, now we think we're in a time of huge opportunity. All the breaks are off. We can go for it. And yet we're flogging a horse that's almost dead. And using these environmental measures, we can recognize what capacity people have for the discretionary effort they would need to change, but also the extent to which they feel that their team and their organization is on their side, is there for them, so that they will be committed to contributing. And I think when people talk about the big resignation or whatever they whatever the term is now, the pattern of very large numbers of people leaving their employers and opting out in some kind of way, it reflects the fact that we lost that human connectivity. And over COVID, very often we didn't feel the organization was there for us. 
We didn't feel it was psychologically safe. We didn't feel that our emotional health was in a good place. And so our capacity to adapt has been shot. Um, and because we hadn't trained how to have more grits or resilience, or we have trained how to unlearn, we're not as equipped as we could be mm. to adapt to those ongoing changes. And no, personally, I had 12 very, very difficult months during lockdown um, and came out of it completely exhausted um, and made a very big intentional decision to reduce my level of work stress until I felt able to recover. Um, many people in employed situations, their employers didn't give them that freedom. They basically said, in the new normal, this is how you're going to behave. And if you don't like it, tough. And they said, I don't like it, tough, and walked away. You talked about, the thing, you mentioned the word measuring and measurement. You know, I mean, adaptability quotient, just by the virtue of it, there's, there's a measure involved. And it'd be interesting to understand how do we measure it or how do you measure it or how does this adaptability quotient measure it and what can we do from that measurement uh, to take us forward, I guess, to make us more yeah. adaptable? Well, the underlying model has three primary dimensions. So there are abilities that you have and those are things you can learn to get better at that enable you to respond to adapt to the challenge of change more effectively. And you can measure those abilities on a scale of naught to 100. Um, and each individual can be compared to the team average and the global average um, and perhaps your company average. And if you see where people are at on that spectrum, and then depending upon the kind of change you're trying to uh, take them through, you may want to skill them up uh, uh, so that they have more capability to respond to that change. So that's the ability piece. Okay. The second thing is character. And this is really about your orientation to change. So are you somebody who's more introverted or more extroverted? Are you somebody who is more living in hope or in fear? Are you somebody who's playing to win or playing to protect? There are five sub-dimensions around character. Are you somebody who's got a uh, thinking style about the big picture or the detailed picture. Um, so as you understand... And, and so on the, on the character piece, is that more the looking at people's natural traits? As it, that would so be? we see these as traits, but we recognise that um, people of different traits need to be communicated and motivated in different ways. Mm. But also as individuals, if we understand our traits, we can reflect on that and respond differently rather than our default position. So let's say for the sake of argument, you're somebody who's in the play to protect category. If I said to you, um, for heads, you get, I'll give you £10. For tails, you give me £1. You might be up for that. But when it became £10,000 versus £1,000, you probably would not be. Whereas a play to win person might be up for that bet. Right. Logically, those things are completely equivalent from a risk reward point of view but we have a preference and some people are more loss averse so if i'm trying to motivate you as a play to protect person i will show you how this change is going to enable you to have more of the things that really matter mm. that you've already got and how it's going to protect you from losing the things you've already got whereas for a play to win person i'll be motivating you around the great new things that you could have the wonderful opportunities that are out there 
and how this is a this is a, a going to give you lots of new benefits you haven't got, mm. uh, and you'll be prepared to sacrifice more for the benefits, whereas the other person will sacrifice more to hang on to what they've already got. Right. Okay. So that's the character piece, and I've already talked mm. about the environment piece. So when you understand where everybody's at in your organisation, then as a leader or as an HR professional or as a change professional, one, you can put in interventions to improve people's abilities to adapt. Two, you can understand how different people need to be communicated with because of their character preferences. And three, you can understand the environmental factors that need to be negotiated with those people. So if you've got a lot of very gritty people who are have got very high work stress, then it may be that it's risky to impose yet another initiative on them because they've got no discretionary capacity, but they're likely to carry on and carry on, carrying on until they break. And you might see that their emotional health score is already a bit low. And certainly their company support score is low because they don't believe the company's in their interests. They believe that the company's just trying to get more and more out of them until they break. Mm. So that, and then you can measure it again in three months or six months' time and understand, okay, because we've helped people to to have more mental flexibility um, and help people to develop more positivity, a better mindset, then actually they've realized there's new ways of doing things without always just exercising more grit they can do stuff that's more creative. We shift our environment so there's great psychological safety in the team. And as a result, they're happy to bring new ideas and new initiatives because they don't believe they're going to be shut down. They're happy to try things out and fail. They don't mm. believe they're going to be shut down. Now we're in a place where change is much more possible. Okay. So those kinds of things can really matter. And it does depend on the kind of change and the way the linkages work for individuals. But you know, the stereotype is the finance department, they're in the play to protect mode. The sales department, they're in the play to win mode. Those archetypes, those stereotypes, if you like, you can use a tool like this to find out the extent to which they're really true. Mm. And you may find there are people within the finance department who are incredibly entrepreneurial. Um, and you want to draw that out of them mm. and help them to become change agents. And it's the salespeople who are so set in their ways that they're not prepared to adopt a new sales system or a new program because mm. they have very little mental flexibility. So those are the kinds of things that you can help you understand. And then as an HR functional leader, you can put in the training and development interventions and the cultural change interventions that mm. can shift those dials. So this is a, a almost a psychometric test that we people would do and score on various questions, I presume. Is that how it works? Well, the experience you have as an individual is you engage with a chatbot that asks you questions right. and then offers you back a report. And then a skilled AQ assessor will go through with you as an individual and right. help you to understand the implications for you. Um, and then they can be anonymized at a team level or at an organizational level and yeah. we help these to understand the kinds of interventions they need for their teams to thrive. Okay. So looking at the three you've got the ability character and environment so obviously yeah. character 
is who people are and obviously that's who they are and that's like a trait it's sort of sort of fixed um yeah. and it's and it's how you approach that and obviously do that the yeah, ability and it helps to, how they'll respond to change yeah, yeah what's sure. the default, default reaction to a change challenge yeah and so the ability piece is that where you would bring in more we want to have a bit of understanding what the ability piece is. Is that where you bring in more of a training and more of a coaching way of helping people get exactly like, like with resilience? You can teach people, you can exercise like a muscle. It's not like, oh, that person's got more resilient than another. Actually, you can actually increase people's resilience by yeah. doing various activities. And the language in you know, the language we use in common everyday speech is for grit, for example, we think that grit is a character trait that you're sort of born with or you develop through experience of, of hard knocks, mm. whereas actually it's something you can train and coach people to strengthen. Okay. So so what, what are the ability components then? Grit. Yeah. Resilience. Mindset. Mental flexibility. Okay. And unlearn. So they're the ones that you help people to change and adapt, I guess. In yeah, that that's, a, that's a learning opportunity. Yeah. And then in the environment piece, it's primarily about renegotiating how you operate as an individual or the team environment or the corporate environment, which either individuals have agency over or leaders have agency over, and they can change those drivers. Mm. Okay. You talked about your challenge in, in sort of COVID time, in, in the lockdowns for 12 months, and you found that really tough. What are your, I guess, learnings of, of that particular uh, sort of point in your life? And also, how did you use this adaptability question to really help you get out of that and become more adaptable in, in terms of that approach? Well, the interesting thing was I went through that very, very tough 12 months. Um, ultimately, the project that I was leading failed. I got interested in exploring failure. Um, and through that, I, I started to think about adaptability. And then I came across the AQAI organization um, and decided I want to be able to help other people to be more adaptable because again and again I see that as a barrier to their own growth and for CEOs who aren't able to build adaptable organizations it's a barrier to those organizations thriving mm. and I suppose I've come to the point where I believe we are in a world that is a VUCA world a world where change is a constant it's just getting deeper and faster. Um, and with all of that volatility, uncertainty, and confusion, and ambiguity and complexity, we need to be thinking about the way we engage in the world in a very different way. Um, and COVID was just another example of that. Mm. I've been around long enough to be through a number of crashes of the markets, been around long enough to see you know, fashions in technology come and go. Mm. Change is a constant, but I think for too long we've kidded ourselves that it's just temporary. With one yeah. more push and we'll be back to normal. 
Yes, and I think people thought that post-COVID, and now we are, certainly in the UK, uh, equally as uncertain with the future and the challenges we have on, on our economy and everything else that's going on. Um, in terms of that, it was failure that got you to this place. is interesting. And so do you sort of go back to that point that failure became for you as a, an opportunity to to learn, to, to challenge the way you were thinking and everything else? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most disappointing for me thing for me around that experience of failure is there were too many people around me who would deny that it was failure, um, who said, no, the most important thing is that you tried or it's a learning experience or nobody else could have done it anyway because the circumstances were against you or some kind of excuse. And I was, I just thought, hang on, is there some kind of taboo here that we're not allowed to talk about failure? We're not allowed to acknowledge failure. We're not allowed to embrace failure. We're not allowed to mourn failure. And mm. I and I started to get really interested in, okay, is there any thinking of failure about failure that anybody's really done? Mm. And um, so inevitably, because I like teaching people stuff, I've now got a workshop on failure. But that's how I learn. I learn by teaching people stuff. So yeah, something. But I guess, I guess failure does. I mean, you got to learn from it. I mean, yes, if things fail, clearly they do. But it's what you take from it, isn't it? There is always a learning opportunity, isn't there? Well, I think that's one way of looking at failure. But mm. I think what we often overlook is that a failure is always some kind of experience of loss. Mm. And so I started to look at models of grief and mourning. Because I think that's the piece that's missing. And in the UK, you know, in Western societies, we're very poor about talking about death. Mm. We're happy to talk about sex. We're almost able to talk about money. But death, you know, if you have a death in the family, it's sort of, I'm sorry if you're lost. Let's move on quickly. Let's not talk about it. Mm. And I think there's a similar thing around failure. Um, and we've lost that ability to celebrate heroic failure. Some of you will be... Uh, Old enough to remember Eddie the Eagle, a great celebrated failure. We managed to turn Dunkirk into a success, although it was really just a celebration of a great failure. Um, and the, the charge of the light brigade, you no, know, again, another heroic failure. Scott of the Antarctic. We did have a tradition of celebrating heroic failure. We've lost it somehow. Mm, interesting. So just expand upon a bit more. How do you see failure then, apart from acknowledging it, and uh, which is really important, and that sort of sense of grief and the loss of it, how else might we use failure to move forward? Well, one of the things that I realised is that there are people who are carrying learned helplessness or learned hopelessness, and those are people who've had so many repetitive experiences of failure that they no longer believe that anything they can do can change their situation. And interestingly, within the adaptability quotient, there is a character trait, which is hope. One of the few times I've seen people measure hope, actually, um, and they compare hope at one end of the spectrum versus fear. And for those people who've lost hope, you need to move them from um, hope, learned hopelessness to learned optimism and the only way you can do that is to give them very very small incremental experiences of success that you celebrate mm -hmm. um 
and I think when when I see failure really embraced in an organizational culture, then we are creating all sorts of permission for people to try things out and to experience those failures. And there's a really interesting model of failure in the failure files where they talk about the comfort zone. And then if you want to move out of the comfort zone, you have to move into the failure zone. And then you can break through into a success zone, which may become a new comfort zone. And that's the way you make progress. But in this model, the only way of breaking out of the comfort zone to find the next success zone is to experience the failure zone. Um, and that, to me, makes a lot of sense. But too often, I think we deny that. And we expect our heroes and our leaders only ever to be successful. And then a lot of our culture is as soon as they have some kind of failure, we're very happy to tear them down and mm. and uh, you, and see them as worthless because they've had an experience of failure. Mm. Yeah, because if, if we're pushing the boundaries, whether that's innovation or or trying hard on something, we're bound to get some element of failure along the way because that's how you you do something in, a, in a, a new skill, new opportunity, you've not been there before, it's unknown. It will create failure, and that's and it's the important thing is how you move through. I agree with you. If, you, if you're not pushing your to the limits uh, and not experiencing failure, whether that's in sport or in business, then you're probably not really pushing to the boundaries uh, and to the unknown. Um, now we could talk a lot on this failure and this um, uh, topic. I'm really quite interested in it. Um, but um, if people are really, uh, and thank you for today, um, Charles. If people are interested in knowing a bit more about yourself or a bit more about the adaptability quotient, how might they get in touch with you? Yeah, the easiest way to find me is to look on LinkedIn for Charles McLaughlin or to go to a website called portfolioexecutive.biz and at portfolioexecutive.biz you can reach out to me that's one of the things that I'm running is a program for portfolio executives but through that you can contact me about anything else so go and have a look at portfolioexecutive.biz there is a contact me page there and just say that you want to talk about adaptability and we can always have a short conversation Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today, Charles. It's much appreciated. Well, it's been great to be part of the show. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Mm-hmm.